On this edition of the podcast, we're going to take a look at the round eight game between the Hawthorne AFLW team and the GWS Giants, which was their first interstate away game in their inaugural season. We will look at some of the highlights from the game, some of the moments that stood out. We'll have a look at the scoring in terms of the soaring to new heights, best and fairest. We'll also look at the retirement of Jess Duffin, who has called an end to her playing career at the end of this season. And so much more on this exciting episode of the podcast, Soaring to New Heights, which is looking at the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season. Good evening, Hawks fans, and welcome to the newest episode of the podcast series called Soaring to New Heights, where we are looking at the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season. My name is Tim, and as per always, we welcome our co-host Liam. Liam, how are you going this evening? I'm well, Tim. How are you? Um, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Liam, this was the first game that you were unable to attend in person because it was the first interstate away game that the girls have had this season. How did you find watching it on the TV? Well, I actually decided to go into the little event that was in Glenferry, so I was watching it next to Ned Reeves, Emma Race, and a few other fans. And it was different. You, you don't get as much perspective of certain things, but equally you are more in tune with other aspects of the game. You're probably more in tune with the in and under contested work. You're much less in tune with the likes of Caitlin Ashmore and her running, which we'll talk about at the end of this podcast. But, but yeah, it was an interesting experience watching it on the TV, something I'm probably going to have to get quite used to, given my likely employment situation next year. But, yeah, it was, it was a different experience, but it was an enjoyable one nonetheless. And, Honestly, it's just a, it's a good time just being able to watch our, our fledgling side develop, grow, and become something that's a proud representation of our club. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, as we know, on the weekend, Hawthorne took on the GWS Giants in their Round 8 clash at Henson Park. Now, it was the fourth close game that the girls have had over the last month. Obviously, three wins out of those four games. We had the win against Sydney, the win against West Coast, and the win against Port Adelaide. And unfortunately, when the, fire and si- when the final siren went on Sunday afternoon, the girls were not in front. They ended up losing the game by a point. Very close game. Now, if we're looking... A one-point game is really as close as you can get without it being a draw, so that's kind of stating the obvious, mate. Absolutely. That's correct. Now, in terms of the game, in the lead-up, we know that there were some team changes. So, Eliza Shannon was back for her first game in a month due to concussion. So, she received a concussion against the Western Bulldogs in the Round 4 clash at Box Hill City Oval. And she replaced Sarah Perkins, who was admitted. Now, Liam, I don't know if you were... If you saw much of it, I'm sure you did on social media that there were images of Sarah Perkins in the change room before the scratch match on the weekend, uh, taping the ankles of her opponent. What did you think of that? I thought it was really interesting. It's, one, great to see the camaraderie among the entire AFLW community, but equally, it would have probably been ideal if some trainers were available. I understand there were probably clashing commitments and all that. But um, Sarah was also at the event I went to and I said to her, you should get it. reach out to my little brother. My little brother's a physiotherapy student who's a trainer for Coburg in the VFL. I'm sure he wouldn't have, if he were free, he would have gone down. So There we go. There's a plug, a plug there. So if anyone's looking for a physio who's able to help out. I'll be clear. He's a physiotherapy student, not a physiotherapist. <laughs> 
Well, he's there to help. So if we ever need help in terms of that, we'll be able to call upon your brother Liam. Now, in terms of the structure for the game, we did see some changes uh, through the omission, obviously, of Sarah Perkins and then also the injury that happened the week before in the warm-up to Tegan Cunningham. So this week we saw Jess Duffin moved forward permanently. Uh, while she was moved forward permanently throughout the game, we were missing Zoe Barbacos, who was missing her second game due to concussion that she received at training. And then with Tegan Cunningham out, Lucy Wales pretty much had to ruck by herself all day up against the Giants' uh, two-ruck combination. Liam, what can you tell us about that? I mean, she's done it most of the season. She's had a bit of support from Tegan since Tamara's injury. Uh, Onya... Wanda McDonough, in only her fifth competitive game of Australian rules football, rucked the forward line just to prevent Lucy from being absolutely gassed. Although, on a hot day and the, the workload she's had this season, it, it would be fair to say she did look a bit tired. That took nothing away from her work rate. She won. The, she was winning a lot of hitouts. Her work rate was unbelievable. From memory, she laid seven tackles. I'd have to double-check. Like, ranking only behind TLR and Aileen Gilroy. There's no shame in being behind those two in tackle counts, especially as a ruck. But, yeah, so she was covering a lot of ground, as she always does, and the stat sheet won't say it was her best game, but it was one where she worked as hard as she has all season. Like, it's there was no dip in effort. Definitely. The effort was there all day. It is interesting you were talking about it being quite a warm day in Sydney. It was the first day game that the girls have played since round four. And if we think about those round four conditions where it was torrential and it was actually quite cold, this would be the first game I think we could both agree upon, Liam, in terms of the weather playing a huge factor with the heat. Uh, yeah, you and I were standing next to each other in round four. And it was rather wet. Um, I think I'm, I'm actually being very kind that it was cold, wet and downright miserable. Um, I actually wrote in my piece about the Irishman last week that it would have reminded them of home. Because so, that was um, that was a really, really miserable day to be out at Box Hill City Oval, but it was a good atmosphere nonetheless. That is correct. So I think the heat probably had a real impact. Definitely. I think the, the heat definitely would have had an impact. If you think about training, the girls have been training through the end of winter, the beginning of spring. In Melbourne, we haven't had too many warm, hot days. Uh, and then playing against the Giants on Sunday in Sydney in terms Up of... In your hometown? My hometown, that's right. A former Sydney boy. The heat, I think, certainly would have knocked a few of them around in terms of our players on the day. But equally, it's the, it's the same conditions for both teams, obviously. That is correct. Mind you, the Giants would have been training in similar conditions. Obviously, the, the Sydney warmer has been a bit weather. Uh, sorry, the Sydney weather has been a bit warmer uh, in the last few weeks. So the GWS girls would have at least had a bit of prior exposure to those warm conditions. Now, Liam, we know that you are an absolute guru when it comes to midfield and centre bounce in terms of centre bounce attendances. What did you think about the midfield and the centre bounces on the weekend? present a bit of a little bit of concern nothing drastic we, we actually managed to neutralize stoppages quite well because i'm pretty sure most of the three draws were us laying the tackle to neutralize it so that, that was impressive that we stopped and getting a lot of clean exits although from the 12 that had a clearance there was also another one after our goal after our fifth goal in the fourth which was in the fourth quarter the seconds in the bounce of the fourth quarter that never actually happened because of an off the ball free kick i don't know exactly what that was for but you know, we'd have to follow that up, but have no reason to doubt the decision. Um, so we won three 
drew three, lost six. Uh, the combination of Lucas Rod, Fleming, and Baskaran had a two win, one draw, one loss. That, that's actually a combination I wouldn't mind seeing more of. I think it's a very complete combination. Uh, a tad small, perhaps, but there is, you know, TLR's in and under. Jazz, and we'll talk about her a bit later as well, showed that ability to go in between. And Baskaran's a bit able to offer a bit of zip on the outside. And it's a really good combination that I like seeing. And one that, one that I'd like us to persist with a bit more, because for the season, when you, pair, when you have that trio with Lucy Wales, I'm just getting the numbers up here. It's right, Fleming Baskaran. It's attended 14 times with Wales in the ruck. They've won seven, drawn two, lost five. So that's actually a well above team average combination, that quartet. And also that the trio of Rovers has attended once with Tegan Cunningham, and they won that. So 15 attendances for eight wins, two draws, five losses. That combination of Lucas Rod, Fleming and Vascaran, especially with Wales in the ruck, which is almost a default position, um, I would like to see a lot more of that. I'm, I'm glad Beck used it four times through the game, and I think it's a combo really worth using more. Be interesting to see if it's used this week against Brisbane and then in the round 10 clash against Fremantle. So now we're going to look, Liam, at some of the moments that stood out in terms of the game on the weekend. I think the first moment we're going to touch on has to be Jasmine Fleming's solo effort in the centre square that led to our first goal. So if we think about Jazz Fleming, ball in dispute, knocked the ball to herself and then put the afterburners on, the roadrunner would have been struggling to keep up with her. That's how quick she was going. And then the kick she was able to hit, our key forward at the time, Jess Duffin, centimetres out from the goal square to get our first goal. Words cannot do justice to the effort of Jazz in terms of that solo effort to lead to our first goal. She bursts from the break, takes two or three bounces and hits a 40-metre kick, millimetre perfect to Jess Duffin. Um, I, yeah, there's not much to say other than we have a very, very special player on our hands. That is correct. As we know, Jazz was the number two draft pick in terms of the national draft. Did win a premiership with the Oakley Chargers last year in the NAB League as well. And the best and fairest, that's correct. So we know we have an absolute star in our hands. And watching Jazz play this year, we can see that she is only getting better with more game time. Then we move to Evie and Penny, my two daughters' favourite player in the Hawthorne squad. Number 34, Akesh McCurchuot. And her goal in the second quarter. Liam, what did you think of the effort? What do you want me to say? She intercepts a an admittedly unusual decision to kick a high ball kick a high floating ball across goal to a stationary target. Um personally I think that's a bad idea, just just quietly. But nonetheless, you play what's in front of you and the cash gets across, prevents the mark takes a sidestep that would make any athlete on the planet proud, including Cameron Munster. You know, it would make Cameron that step would make Cameron Munster proud. And she then, from a rather acute angle, just slops through a drop punt that was never missing for her second AFLW goal and first for the Hawks. And I'm sure your daughters enjoyed that immensely. They certainly did. Both Penny and Evie were jumping up and about. They loved the Kesha's dance moves, as they called them. Uh, on the weekend where she was able to sidestep her opponent. And that kick, as you said, from an acute angle, calmly slotted it. Was never missing. Was never missing. missing. Never missing. Looked amazing. As you know, it was Akesha's first goal for Hawthorne. Certainly won't be her last. Speaking of goals, 
Anya's goal in the second quarter, it was like deja vu. It was almost like we had watched the replay from the Port Adelaide game with the big bomb from our other Irish girl, the Mayo Marvel, Aileen Gilroy. Yeah, yeah. the only difference was this one was a drop punt. That's basically the only difference. Gilroy kicks long over the top. McDonough uses her side to control it and then her speed to go into the open goal. Um, Rinse, repeat, change the kick style. That, that's that's pretty much all it was. So can we get three from three this weekend, please? It would be lovely to see three from three. And as you said, speaking of Anya, fifth game of professional AFL has never played of AFLW has never played Australian rules before this season. So a huge effort from her to be able to be playing such a huge, important, vital role for us in that forward line. Then we come to Eliza Shannon. Now, as we spoke about earlier, Eliza had just come back from a concussion. The tackle in the last quarter, for mine, was one of the biggest moments of the game. So GWS were on the attack. As we know, GWS in that last quarter controlled play. They were inside our forward 50 for large periods of time. And there was one play, Liam, in the right forward pocket where it looked like the Giants were about to kick a certain goal, put themselves in front, and Eliza with this huge diving tackle to win a holding the ball call for us, for mine, was was absolutely massive. Coming back from a concussion, you think most players would be very, very cautious. Eliza threw caution to the wind, put a body on the line, and for mine, that tackle was absolutely mammoth in terms of giving the girls confidence uh, and a bit of momentum. Absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant effort. She probably showed the right way to deal with any kind of concerns. If you go into a game with doubts, you usually come out with pain, is a very old football proverb. But she had no doubts. She went and did her job and unfortunately didn't get us over the line in the end, even though pragmatically it might be a good result for reasons we might discuss later. But but it was a remarkable effort and she hasn't missed a beat, clearly. You know, she's been out of the side for a month now, effectively. But comes in, a couple of changes to the group she was with last time. No fuss, no worries. Goes in, does her job. And was among our better players on the day. Did a wonderful job, did Eliza. Then we come to Richo, Jenna Richardson. Now, Richo received another coach's vote this week. So we know she received three coaches' vote last week for her game against Erin Phillips. Now, in that last quarter, Liam, similar to Eliza, when the Hawks were under the under the pump, Richo's efforts in defence were huge. The amount of smothers in terms of making sure GWS didn't get a, a positive or a, a wonderful kick to their attacking forwards, Richo making sure she was smothering anything within her vicinity, spoiling the ball, getting in the way. She did a wonderful job on Cora Staunton as well. She just wouldn't be defeated. And if we think about it, Liam, this is her third game of AFLW. Coming back from an injury that put her out for the first half of the season, doesn't look like she's missed a beat, looks up to this standard well and truly. And the rest. And the rest. And for mine, you think about this, it's like heart and soul moments. In the defensive line, huge amounts of pressure, GWS on the attack, on the attack, on the attack. And Rucho just kept throwing herself at anything that was wearing a charcoal and orange jumper to try valiantly to have Hawthorne hold on to a win. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about the Dombell Delight in a minute, but um, she was 
unbelievable all day, and that effort epitomised. I think it was two or three in a row. Like she just kicked some other, goes a bit further away, kicked some other. Like just kept charging down kicks, and unfortunately that play did end up resulting in the Giants' game ceiling goal. But that was through absolutely no fault of Jenna. It was there was nothing more she could have done to prevent that. Like she did everything within her power and then some to stop the goal. In the end of the at the end of the day, the pressure from the Giants simply wore it out, and that's eventually what good attacking footy does. Like sometimes it's just better offense, and that's ultimately what it was. Through that, no fault of the defense. That is correct. As we know, the defense was peppered. Throughout the day, I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, Jedderus had 41 inside entries, uh, inside 50 entries compared to our 22 for the day. So a 19 differential in terms of that. Speaking of differentials, though, the eighth week, eighth, eighth week running, sorry, that we have won the tackle count this time, 32 tackle differential, 72 tackles to 40, uh, with only one player on the ground for Hawthorne recording no tackles. What do you want me to say? This, this team's will is never in question. Um, again, my, my, I've made my views on the tackle count clear on this show before, but I'd be willing to back as well that if not only did we out-tackle them in the raw tackle count, I'd be also willing to bet we out-tackled them in the tackles per minute and possession count, which is what I value more, quite frankly. Um, by the way, AFLW app, please give us time in possession data the way the men's app does. It would make this stuff so much more interesting and more insightful. But... I mean, I won't miss a shot, chance to pop, pop the app, obviously, as you know. But, um, again, remarkable effort. And, and then when you have the two tiny tees, you, you're going to tackle well. So. Well, that's it. We had the tiny tees who tackled incredibly well. We had the Mayo Marvel, Aileen Gilroy, who was equal top tackler with our captain, Tilly Lucas-Rod. As you playing seven from the ruck. That is correct. So we had... Every single line on the ground making tackles throughout the day, which is a wonderful effort. 20 out of the 21 players on the day making at least one tackle. And then we had multiple. I think we had about 16 who made two or more tackles. The effort, as you said, can certainly not be questioned on a weekly basis. And being Hawthorne supporters, it is wonderful to see this group continuing to grow in confidence, continuing to back themselves back in the game plan that has been implemented and we are absolutely loving the effort and endeavour on a weekly basis. So that, that is correct. Now, they are the positives that we were talking about, sort of the moments that stood out to us. Now we're going to touch on a negative, and that would be the injuries, Liam. So after the game, it, we, we did hear in Beck's press conference, Mackenzie Eardley, a wrist awaiting scans. That, that's, that one seemed worrying to me. I couldn't pinpoint when she went off the ground because I'd have to go back and rewatch the game and look out specifically for that. But the way Beck was talking sounded worrying, but obviously we await scans and, I mean, she's 18, so how you manage that, I'll leave to people who know much more about medical stuff than me, which is well, anybody, but especially people who are qualified. But that seemed, that seemed more concerning of the two injuries. And the other that Lou Watton talked about probably more than Beck, Beck just mentioned mentioned it in passing in her presser, was Jazz Fleming. So she went off late in the third, came back on in the fourth. Um, she has had MCL taping on her knee the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the concern might have been as simple as getting it restrapped, but I, I do note that she didn't attend any of the last quarter centre bounces. So perhaps a degree of concern there, but 
seemed the less worrying of the two injuries in terms of what we know at the moment. But that's also, from what Beck said, will be assessed. That is correct. If you think about Jazz in that third quarter, she was involved in a tackle uh, where her leg did seem to get caught underneath her. She did win a free kick for holding the person. Uh, and I think it, it, was... did look like an, it did look like an MCL kind of movement as well, that foot outside the knee, knee going in. That, that, was, that is an MCL-type mechanism, according to people I've spoken to who know more than me. So. That's correct. And as we said, Lou did speak about it being a minor knee concern, so that's a, a wait and watch in terms of those two players this week. As we do know, we have Tamara Luke, who is out for the remainder of the season, and we also have Lou Stevenson, who is on the comeback trail after having a fractured ankle. Which she played about half a quarter on. She did. She did. Came back on an unbelievable effort. Now we're just going to touch on some of the players here, Liam, who had a bit of a standout on the day. So we'll start off with our fearless skipper, Tilly Lucas-Rod. So she had the 18 disposals, 8 tackles, 3 clearances, attended 11 out of the 12 centre bounces, and also on the day led from the front, which is all you can ask for for a captain. All you can ask for and a whole lot more from the short sleeve wearing TLR, which showed how hot it must have been in Sydney. That is correct. Um, four coaches votes as well, leading all comers for the Hawks, and a really stellar game in difficult conditions against what proved to be a very strong midfield. That is correct. That is correct. The, the Giants have blown really hot and cold all year. Their, their midfield was absolutely red hot on Sunday, and T- TLR stood up and put up a really strong fight against it. She certainly did. Then we move to Aileen Gilroy, so our Mayo Marvel. Equal team high in terms of eight tackles, along with Tilly Lucas-Rod. Only had the eight disposals, but was always threatening with her run and her kicking, and had four clearances, which led the Hawthorne clearance count. Yeah, if, we, if they give us metres gained per disposal or per possession, I'd... I'd... I would think Gilly would probably top that list quite comfortably. Like she, again, only eight, eight maybe nine possessions, depending on because possessions and disposals are different. Um, she was taking a lot of territory every time she got the football, and if we were going to win that game, it was going to be on the back of something Aileen Gilroy or another player we'll talk about a bit later was doing. Like it was any time we looked dangerous, it was often Aileen Gilroy looking that looking as dang, looking dangerous. That's for sure. Then we move to Charlotte Baskerin. So Charlotte certainly would have to have been considered for a Rising Star nomination for this round. As we know, Liam, she did not receive one, but it doesn't mean that she isn't in line possibly over the next two weeks to receive that Rising Star award. She had the 11 disposals. Check out our Rising Stars pod. That's certainly right. Certainly jump onto that one have a listen. She had the 11 disposals, six tackles, three clearances, and something that stood out for me, Eight out of 12 centre bounce attendances on the day. Um, yeah, but the, the, our other 17-year-old, who's younger than Jazz, as I will continue to point out, she doesn't turn 18 until December, um, she's really starting to turn some corners. Like, the first couple of weeks took her a little bit of time to settle in, as you would expect. But since moving into the midfield a bit more permanently, she has taken her game to another level and is really, really starting to show that we're starting to build a really strong young midfield, of which she will be a key part for a long time. 
That is correct. That's one of those players alongside Jasmine Fleming and then our experienced Tilly Lucas-Rod and Aileen Gilroy, who are doing a phenomenal job in terms of our midfield this season in our inaugural season for the Hawthorne team. Then we move to Jenna Richardson, who we spoke a bit about before. Fair to say, Liam, Richo's on fire. I said on a lost pod, uh, Richo's on fire, Cora Staunton's terrified. And um, I was right. Um, although the delivery Cora Staunton received was insipid, and I'm sure she would be blowing up at her teammates and would be well within her rights to, uh, Richo forced her to lead to tough spots. Richo defended her brilliantly. Of her 10 disposals, nine of them were intercepts, which shows exactly the role she played. Uh, three smothers, I think they all came in a row in the last quarter as well. Two marks, one coach's vote. And if they're a win, that would have been a very, very good way to celebrate what was her 21st birthday. Happy birthday, Richo, if you are listening. Then we move to Eliza Shannon. As we said, returned from the concussion and the lack of fear that she had, willing to put her body on the line. Four tackles, as we know, instrumental tackles in that, uh, and had the eight disposals. A very welcome return for Eliza from her concussion, very welcome return from injury, and did not look like she had missed a beat. Not in the slightest. Hard as nails, had a crack, and at the end of the day, that's all you ask for. Like, all you can ask for is that people, you, as long as I'm not questioning a player's will, that's that's my minimum, and she more than met that. She had a go and was, again, among our better players on the day. Certainly was. And then we move to the very first recipient of a Rising Star nomination for the Hawthorne AFLW team in Jazz Fleming. Now, Flemo on the weekend looked incredibly dangerous, Liam. Uh, yeah, whenever she had the football, she was always taking us forward. And she is the other player, along with Gilroy, who, if we were going to win that game, was going to be on the back of something she did, probably breaking out of a stoppage. Uh, Gemma Bastiani on Twitter, really good Twitter account to follow, if you're interested in the AFLW, by the way, summed it up in three words, good at footy. And her 11 disposals, three inside 50s and a coach's vote suggests that she's not a, that, um, she's right. I think good at footy is probably an understatement, if we're being honest there, Liam. Yeah, um, you're right as well. (laughs) That run, as you said, was incredibly valuable. Shows that she is becoming that complete player that we know that Jasmine can be. Uh, And if you have a listen to the Rising Star pod that we put out, we discussed about how Jazz was drafted as an inside midfielder, but is now starting to show more strings to her bows in terms of her run through the midfield as well. The self-promotion and cross-referencing is really shameless this episode, isn't it? Shameless plugs. But that's all right, Liam. Not a problem with that. So, I didn't say it was a problem. I did the first one for crying out loud. <laughs> that is correct. So next we move to the votes for the Soaring to New Heights Player of the Year. So in terms of the voting system, what Liam and I have been doing throughout this season is that after each game, similar to the coaches' votes, Liam and I get five votes each. So five for the most effective player on the ground. Four, three, two, and then one. And then after Liam votes and I votes, we vote separately. We then come back, have a look at our results uh, and work out in terms of the week, the uh, the votes that the players have received. Yeah, for reference, we, ha- we actually, we take great care not to influence each other's votes. Like I will do mine, tell Tim I've done them, 
And then once Tim tells me he's done his, that's then when we put them into the spreadsheet that we both have access to. So we, we do put a lot of effort in making sure we're not influencing each other's votes. Because when we watch it, we know that, Liam, you are very pragmatic. I'm a bit more optimistic. Uh, and when we're watching the game, we certainly see things through different coloured glasses. I mean, when you're doing 5 4 3 2 one, though, it's a, it's a little bit more objective. Like, it's not, it's not like tipping, which I'm sure we'll come to. But That is correct. Now, in terms of the season tally, we're going to keep it under wraps for now. So after we put out the votes for this week, we still have two rounds to go. So this week... We need to work out a bit more about what we're doing with it. So we're just going to, rather than revealing and realising we shouldn't have, we'll keep it under wraps and say, okay, if we want to reveal it, we can. That's it. That's what we can do. So in terms of the vote getters on the weekend, Tilly Lucas Rod got the nine votes from Liam and myself. Jenna Richardson had eight votes, Jasmine Fleming six votes, Eliza Shannon three votes, Aileen Gilroy two votes, and Charlotte Baskaran two votes. Yeah, I'm um, just reading numbers. So interesting, very interesting split there though, Liam. We had six players receive votes. And yes, no. That means, yeah, four players were in both our votes, and then we had one divergence, neither of which was our one vote player, interestingly. That's correct. I was just about to say, neither of them were our one vote player, and no player received just the solitary vote. Well, I mean, by, by definition, that's how it works if we both had the same player for one vote. So. <laughs> so. This now brings us to looking ahead towards our round nine game against Brisbane. So for those of you who jump onto the Talking Hawks website, there is the review that is currently up about the interstate heartbreak. So please make sure you jump on and have a read of that. We also have a piece on Caitlin Ashmore on cash uh, that is coming out on Thursday. So that's uh, yeah, I've, I've written that one. That's... Tim's helped me proof it a bit, but that's I've written that one. That will come out Thursday. That's in with the crew now. But um, as as discussed previously, Tim, I believe that's not the only exciting Talking Hawks thing that's going to be happening on Thursday. No, all I can say, Liam, is keep an eye out on the Talking Hawks social on Thursday. There will be something quite significant happening uh, Thursday evening at this stage. So keep. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll probably running study sessions for administrative law and private law remedies, but I will certainly be watching it back. So make sure, jump onto the Talking Hawk socials on Thursday. Something really special coming out in terms of our AFLW team that we would hate for you to miss out on. So now that we've had a look at the pieces for Talking Hawks that have come out this week based on our team, we look ahead to the round nine game against Brisbane at Frankston. So Brisbane... Undefeated, currently top of they're the ladder. They're not undefeated. I think they're 7-1. Sorry, 7-1. There we go. Sitting top of the ladder, though. And we are currently sitting in 13th position. I'm actually optimistic, Liam. I know that comes as a shock to you in terms yeah, of this. Um, not at all. <laughs> I'm actually I, I'm really positive looking ahead to the game because I think it's a wonderful opportunity to see how far our young team has come in such a short period of time. If we think about it, 16 weeks ago is when the draft happened. So in the last 16 weeks, we had a very short, truncated preseason. We've now played eight games, sitting currently at three wins, five losses, which when I was looking on social media, has us sitting at 37.5% win rate, uh, which is, is quite good considering it's our first season. That is what happens 
and you divide three by eight. So that that is how quite basic maths works. Um, I, I also think it'll be a great litmus test for us. And if Brisbane rest players especially, I would fully expect our coach to really fire the team up and point out how downright insulting that is. But a good litmus test also does mean we're facing a team that looks very difficult to stop right now. And all I, all I want to see is the girls give the absolute best they can. And at the end of the day, we can't ask for more than that. But um, this Brisbane side are really, really good. I watched that second quarter against Adelaide, and my one-word reaction was gulp. I think Frankston might actually help us, Liam. Let's hope so. Because of the narrowness of the ground, I, I think that, that could certainly be a benefit for us. Uh, if we think about Brisbane the other night against Adelaide, they were playing some very expansive football, lots of run and carry as well. And I think the tighter constraints of Kinetic Stadium in Frankston will help us. Let's hope so. <laughs> Today, there was an announcement of Jess Duffin retiring at the end of the season. Yep, yeah, so it'll be Soggy's Swan Song. Um, that, that nickname it comes from her cricketing days when she bowled a ball over the nets, jumped into the, and went into a creek, and she then went and retrieved it. And you can imagine where that nickname then stemmed from. Um, remarkable two-sport athlete, been an incredible leader for our club, real asset on and off the field. Um, we'll, we'll probably talk about it more in a, in a future episode, but congratulations and thank you, Jess, for everything you've done. Forever an inaugural Hawthorne AFLW player, forever a part of our club. And forever a player of the match in a World T20 final as well. Quite, quite a CV that Jess has. In terms of Jess, I think it's actually wonderful, Liam, that when Jess retires, she'll retire as a Hawthorne player. Her last game will be wearing the brown and gold, and we know what Jess has been able to achieve throughout her sporting career. But I think it's wonderful what Jess has been able to achieve this season in our young team, helping to set up that team culture, team dynamic, uh, and helping to add that experience to our young forward line and also to our young defenders as well. Our vice captain this season, and with two of our four members of the leadership group spending most of the season out, she has only become more important to us, and it's been great having her in the team. Instrument, yeah, instrumental in our first, yeah, instrumental in our first two wins as well. Uh, yeah, in this against the Swans, she kept us in it in that first quarter. Against the Eagles, she kicked three goals in a quarter. So, I mean, that's they're two pretty important roles. And if you think about that, Liam, Jess will be going out on a high in terms of her output this season, which is wonderful. Yeah, she um, she's gone out with a bit of gas in the tank, which is how you want to go out. You, you see some players at, in many different sports where they don't quite see the end coming. The end comes, and it, in the end of the day, it kind of spoils the memory of them for, a few, for fans, especially younger fans. So the fact that she won't do that is something that should bring fans a lot of joy. The fact that we can, we can go out seeing her, that she can go out as still a very, very good player at AFLW level. Absolutely. And then the last thing we just want to talk about, there was an article published last night uh, by Lauren Wood, and it was about the facilities for the Henson Park game. Um, yeah, I, I saw this and sent it to you, and I was absolutely aghast seeing what our professional athletes had to endure in their workplace 
in terms of facilities. And, you know, there are certain things that challenges athletes face that we are not qualified to talk about. But two toilets for what would have been about 50 staff, including male staff, one sink, a tiny change room that's simply not up to standard. I'm sorry. I I realise ground availability is an issue. I realise there are challenges at play that are outside of people's control. But that is simply not good enough. That is not up to standard. Um, Tim, if your schools that you work at outside of the classroom were like that, they're getting shut down, aren't they? That's correct. If we had facilities that were like that, it would be a closure. Kids wouldn't be allowed on site. I think for mine, not only did you have the two toilets, the one sink, the cramped conditions, also cockroach infested. Now, for mine, Liam, I just thought, yeah, absolutely a health hazard for the players uh, who deserve so much more, deserve so much more in terms of that. This is their workplace. You know, my fourth division EFNL club should not have comfortably better facilities in four different change rooms than the facilities used by the highest level of the sport. Yeah. That is just, that is a fundamental failure. Absolutely, I think it must be addressed with urgency. Like that is just not good enough. I understand that Henson Park is going to be undergoing renovations. Don't use the ground then. Yeah, if it's not up to scratch, shouldn't have been used. I know we were talking before in terms of ground allocation and having other events on at the time. I still can't understand why they wouldn't have used Skoda Stadium, uh, which is the old Skoda Stadium, the the now giant stadium over in Homebush to play the game at. It's a little boutique stadium. The showgrounds had been renovated. Uh, Huge uh, infrastructure placed in in terms of there. I still can't understand why they wouldn't have played the game there. I think Henson Park this season has had five games, or by the end of the season will have hosted five games. And after the Icon Park fiasco earlier this season, you would have thought uh, that the AFL would have looked into these conditions for these professional players and how they can make sure that the standards have improved for them. Again, I've said it a couple of times, this is not community sport. This is people in their workplace. It needs to be treated as such. I cannot think of another workplace that would provide facilities for their workers that are so grossly inadequate and, quite frankly, a health hazard. And again, you know, the first thing I thought of, and this is thinking back to my own experience a bit, what if a player needs to wear contact lenses? Having one sink and those kind of facilities, if you're wearing contact lenses, if you have other issues to deal with, you know, before a game in terms of preparation, you, you can't do that. Inadequate facilities, and these aren't ones that maybe leave a little bit to desire, be desired, these are grossly inadequate to the point of being a health hazard and a hygiene hazard. It, it's simply not good enough. And we were discussing this for a while of whether we talk about it or not. We, we both came to the conclusion, Ian, that we, we cannot ignore this, and this is something that we we have to draw attention to. And I know our players have drawn attention to it. I, I saw Bet Goddard playing a very straight bat and very diplomatic in her response. We're not constrained by AFL rules, so we'll talk more openly. But it's simply not good enough, and something has to change, and it needs to change quick, fast, and in a hurry, because quite frankly, these players deserve better. Couldn't agree more with that, Liam. They certainly deserve better, especially when they are out there busting their gut, performing to the highest level. And we know in terms of the AFL, 
this new competition, seven seasons in, you would think by now that some of these issues would have been rectified uh, and made sure that they didn't happen anymore. You would have thought so, but you're asking the AFL to engage in forward planning. So um, maybe that's a, yeah, I, I, that, they just don't do that very well or often. Not necessarily a strong suit of theirs. That brings us to the end of this edition of Soaring to New Heights. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed the content on this pod. Please make sure you give us a like on whichever platform you are listening to us on. Please make sure you jump onto Talking Hawks and have a look at the quality articles about our AFLW team. Liam, thank you very much for joining us, and I look forward to catching up with you for the Round 9 recap after our game against the Brisbane Lions. No problem, Tim. Let's hope for a good result. That's it. And until next time, Hawks fans, go the Hawks.